Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. It's really nice to be here once again. Wonderful to see you all again. And as usual, every time I come, there's a few more new faces, so it's really exciting. What I'm going to talk about this morning is God of the impossible. And you can sort of subtitle this as how do you pray? We're going to look at the book of Acts, chapter 12. I wasn't going to put it on the screen because it's the whole chapter that I'm going to look at and it's just too many words. I'm going to do it a section at a time. So I'm going to start from the beginning of Acts 12, verses 1 to 5. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, let's go back to the beginning of Acts and see what's happened to the church. Jesus, of course, went to be with his father. He ascended into heaven. Then the Holy Spirit came in the upper room with the flames of fire, and the church began to grow. And Jerusalem got filled with Christians. Thousands of people were becoming Christians. And then persecution started. And the first person to be martyred was Stephen, and he was stoned. And then a lot of Christians were then thrown into prison by Saul. And then a little bit before this chapter, Saul has his Damascus Road experience and he changes his name to Paul. And suddenly it looks like everything is going much better. The church isn't persecuted as much. But then along comes King Herod. Now this Herod is not the same one who was around when Jesus was born. This is his grandson. Okay? So unfortunately they're all called Herod, so it makes it really difficult. Now, this particular Herod was just as bad as the one around Jesus' time who slaughtered all the children under two. He was appointed by Caligula, who was the emperor at the time. And Caligula was a particularly nasty Roman emperor. And we sort of talk about Donald Trump being extreme, but Caligula actually got his horse into the Senate actually had a horse elected as uh, one of the senators. So, you know, it's nothing in comparison, really. So he was completely mad. And he got Herod uh, to be king over this area of Judea. Now, King Herod was not a Jew. He was an Edomite, and the Jews hated the Edomites. But Herod wanted to be able to control the people, and he wanted to do things that would please the Jews. And as you can see in this passage, the first thing he does is start persecuting Christians because the Jews hate the Christians because it's a sect and they're pulling, you know, people away from Judaism. 
So the first thing he does is he has James executed, and it looks as though Peter is heading in the same direction. So suddenly, that church, the church in Jerusalem, is going to lose two major pillars, two of the apostles. They're big blows. So what do they do? Well, let's read on. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And so Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gates leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Oh, now I know without doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. So, Peter is carted off to prison. And what does he do? Now, just for a minute, I want you to think, if you'd just been arrested and you were taken off to prison and you knew the next day that you were going to be, probably have your head removed, which is what happened to James, his head was cut off with a sword, do you think you would sleep? I think I'd be up, probably praying a lot and also very nervous. Plus, I've taken my clothes off and I'm chained to two soldiers. Sleep would be a long way from my mind. But that's exactly what Peter was doing. In fact, he was so sound asleep that an angel had to whack him in order to wake him up. So he's so sound asleep. So how could Peter possibly sleep knowing that he was going to be killed the next day? Now, you might have thought, well, he knew he was going to be rescued, but that's clearly not the case, because when the angel comes and does rescue him, he thinks it's all a vision. But this is the same Peter who later wrote in one of his letters, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So did Peter really care whether he lived or died? Well, clearly not. He was at peace. He thought, well, if I'm going to be with the Lord, like James, great. If I'm not, well, great as well. He was completely at peace. And that's a wonderful thing to be in, isn't it? That wonderful peace of God, knowing that whatever happens, you're going to be okay. So, let's read on. When this had dawned on him... He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Now, so, 
there's Mary's house. All of the Christians in the area were praying in Mary's house. And earlier in verse 6, it actually says they were praying earnestly. Now, hang on a minute. Again, if they were praying earnestly, James has just been killed. Do you think they prayed earnestly for James? Very probably. And yet, what happened to James? He was executed. They prayed for James and it hadn't worked. And when you've prayed for something and you've not seen the answer that you've wanted, is it slightly more difficult to pray earnestly the second time? It's difficult, isn't it? How often have we said, I don't think I'll bother to pray now. It it didn't work the first time, you know. Or maybe you're just praying slightly more half-heartedly, thinking, well, is God going to answer? I don't know. So your prayer hasn't got that urgency. Maybe you've been let down by God. Maybe you've had a James situation where you prayed for something, for somebody, and you just haven't had the answer that you wanted. Maybe you've given up praying for something because you've prayed for so long and not seen an answer. Maybe we don't pray as earnestly as we should because we think, well, we could probably do things in our own strength. Men particularly like that. You see, like, you know, men never ask for directions because we think, oh, no, we know the way. We know. It's all right. We'll find it. And we don't need to ask anybody. Or like little kids, I remember Tim when he was little and we'd sort of do something for him. He said, no, 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 I could do it. I could do it. I could do it. And he'd try and do it himself. And we can be like that. We think, well, we don't need God. We'll do it first. And then if it doesn't work out for us, then we'll ask God. You see, we only pray earnestly for things when we get to the end of our tether, when it should be our first point of call. But even Jesus needed prayer. You think, well, he's God. He doesn't need prayer. But if you remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked the disciples to sit up with him, to stay awake and pray with him. So if Jesus needed prayer, how much more do we need prayer? And these people in Mary's house, they were praying earnestly because they'd reached the end of their tether. They couldn't control things. They didn't have any control over Herod. So God was their last resort. And sometimes, yes, God's answer is no. They didn't know what was going to happen with Peter. And when we pray for somebody and they die, or they don't get better, you feel like either God has failed or we have failed in some way. But I just want you to just think about the perspective, just for a minute. Because we're so attached to this life that when somebody dies, 
whether it's young or old, we think that's a failure. And yet, if we have eternity with the Lord, isn't that better than what we have now? And obviously, for those who are left behind, yes, it is a loss. But for the person who has died, they've gone to be with Jesus. And that is so much better than what we have. And okay, God said no about James. He said, no, I am taking James home. But in a way, God was doing James a favor. He's saying, right, you've done. You've done everything you need to do. You're coming home to me. And he was there spending eternity with Jesus. So it's a privilege to be welcomed home. In fact, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he preferred to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So when we see somebody die, when we pray for them that they would get better, yes, God is sovereign. But it's not a failure. So, they were praying earnestly. But were they praying all the same thing? Well, maybe some of them were praying for a quick death, just like James, where he had his head chopped off. Maybe some of them were praying for courage. Or just the Lord would be with him so he wouldn't feel nervous. Some might have even been praying that he wouldn't get executed, that he'd just be staying in prison. Some were probably even thinking, I hope that doesn't happen to me. Because you know, like when we pray sometimes, you think, oh, thank the Lord, it's not me in that situation. I wonder how many people are actually praying that Peter would be released. Well, let's see what happened. Peter knocked at the out entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. She recognized Peter's voice. She was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. So clearly, that little crowd meeting in Mary's house were not praying that he would be released. That was beyond their expectation. They were really surprised. I love that sort of scene where you've got Rhoda coming to the door and she sees Peter and then doesn't open the door. It's like something out of Monty Python, isn't it? And it's like, hey, let me in. And it's just sort of comical. But what I want to ask you this morning is like those people in Mary's house. Sometimes we tend to think of the early church as being 
perfect and all these wonderful things and miracles happening and they're not like the people of today but they're exactly the same they had doubts so I ask how do you pray do you pray with faith or is there an element of you when we had the prayers just now or when we pray for other countries how many of you are just thinking oh well we prayed for years for Syria or whatever and things just seem to keep on getting worse Uh, well I just pray that maybe um, things will just sort of settle down a bit and although somebody at the front might be praying uh, that the war would be resolved that there would be peace in the country a lot of you would be sort of going amen but thinking "Mm, I can't really believe that can't really believe that's going to happen and I'm sure in the same way in Mary's house they were praying different things because they hadn't got the faith to believe God for much greater things what do we pray when we pray for somebody who is ill do you pray that they will get completely better or that they'll be relieved of a bit of suffering And the older you are, the harder it's to pray, isn't it? Because you think, well, they're in their 80s, you know. Or with cancer, that's a tough one, isn't it? Because so many of us see, when we pray for people with cancer, nothing happens. I've got a good friend, Sue Morgan, who was a preacher. She used to preach a lot around the mid-Wales. And we prayed and we prayed for her. And... She died within six months of having um, bowel cancer. And you think, just like those people in that church, well, why did God let that happen? And it, it, it reduces your faith, doesn't it, for praying for other people. So what is your expectation? In Ephesians 1, it says, there is an immeasurable greatness of power to those who believe. So I want you to think about what God is really like. This isn't a God who's like a doctor who has limited abilities. This is a God who, as we said right at the beginning of this service, created galaxies, stars, atoms, the entire universe, the the universe is so great that there are still stars out there where the light hasn't yet reached us. A vastness. And this is the God who we can pray to. The creator of the universe. And yet we reduce him, don't we, into some sort of, oh, well, maybe God can do it. Oh, I'm not sure whether God can do it or not. James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. See, we need to ask God for the impossible. He's just waiting for us to do that. And you don't actually need very much faith because Jesus said, how much faith do we need you should all know a mustard seed and a mustard seed is tiny you see it's not the faith that's the important thing 
It's the fact that we remember who God is. And when we sing our choruses and our hymns about how mighty and great God is, that's real. Sometimes we just let the words just wash over us and we just sing the hymn. Look at the words. They're from Scripture. It's absolutely true. God is mighty. He is great. He does amazing things. But we've got to allow him to do it. And what happened in this situation? Well, maybe they weren't praying that Peter would be released, but God did it anyway. And that's God's grace, how wonderful he is. So don't limit God. I want to tell you a little story, which is true. When we were students, Trace and I were asked to leave our flat because the landlord wanted to sell it and... They were doing up all these buildings. This is in Bristol. Originally, when we moved in, the rent was about £140 a month. And at that time, trying to find a flat that was that amount or cheaper was pretty well impossible in Bristol because the house prices were going up, the rents were going up. And we thought, oh, well, you know, trying to find some was going to be really difficult. And we were around having a little home group and some other people in our home group had prayed for a flat and they said, be really specific about what you want because God says, you know, ask for his best and he will give you his best. So we thought, well, because we were two art students and we were about to finish art college and we wanted a, a room in the house so that we could actually turn into our studio where we could work. We thought we will have one bedroom for us and then a spare bedroom. So we wanted a two-bedroom flat and wanted it to be ground floor. And the people who we'd been talking to said, well, we prayed for a pear tree and an apple tree. So we thought, okay, well, pray for a plum tree and an apple tree as well um, and a nice garden. And what we'd had problems with over previous years is very dodgy landlords and so we prayed for a Christian landlord as well so this would probably be around about February and we prayed and we prayed and we thought well there's no point in actually going out and looking for these places because they just don't exist so newspapers you know we just prayed that God would provide something And all this time, the other residents in the house had moved out. It was just us in there. And all the electricity had been cut off to the rest of the house. It was just our flat. And uh, at one point, we had a string of light bulbs going all the way down the stairs so that people could find their way up to our second floor flat. And they were cleaning up the stonework on the outside, and the damp was getting into the flat and crinkling all our books and stuff. And then they started working on the flat above, and all the dust came through the ceiling, so everything got covered in dust. And we were beginning to lose heart. And then, probably around about September time, the landlord knocked on our door. And he said, I really need you to move out. I'm just about to sell it on to another agency, but this particular flat, I was showing to an uh, an elderly couple, and there's a couple of steps in this flat, so they didn't want it because they have to keep doing these two steps all all the time in the flat. Would you like to come and look at it? So we thought, okay. So we went and looked at it, and it was a ground floor flat. And 
It had two bedrooms. It had a garden. And in the garden was a plum tree, an apple tree, and a pear tree. And when the house was finally sold to the agency, the people who bought the house were the Reverend Such and his wife, Riss and Wynne. And they were a lovely couple, and they eventually moved in upstairs. We moved into the flat. Perfect answer. Now, at the time, the rent was 180, 180 pounds. And we thought, well, you know, that's sort of pretty much the same, a bit more than we asked for, but sort of God's mainly answered the prayer. But in those days, uh, your rents were registered with the local authority, and they were in the process of doing that. And when the rent actually came back registered, it came in at £136 a month. So £4 cheaper than what we had. So at the same time, which I didn't mention, was we were also praying for some transport because we didn't have anything... We, well, we couldn't, neither of us could drive, but we wanted to get around Bristol. Um, we hoped to buy some bikes, but we didn't have any money. But because the landlord wanted us out, he had to pay us compensation, so he paid us £1,000, which we bought two bikes with, and so we had transport as well. So all in all, God answered every part of that prayer. So, ask for God's best, and you will receive God's best. Don't grow weary of prayer. Now, you might have thought, well, that's the end of the story in Act. Peter's been free, but hang on, Herod's still around. Surely he can just come and arrest Peter again, because Peter's been arrested more than once. But one thing you learn with God is that he is in control, ultimately. And if you stand against Jesus, then you lose. And this is what happens. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. So, God reversed the tables. James was killed. Peter was arrested. Peter was freed. Herod was killed. So when we trust God, we know that he is ultimately in control. I want you to just remember this one thing. In Luke 18, Jesus encouraged the disciples to pray and not give up. What have you given up praying for? Are there things that you pray for for a long, long time and not seen an answer? Be like the persistent widow. Keep praying. 
because God will answer. Pray beyond your understanding. Pray beyond your belief. Believe in God. The God of the impossible. Let's pray. Lord Father, it's so easy to put you in a box and limit you. Lord, it's only when we reach the end of our tether that we call out to you earnestly. But Lord, I pray that you would encourage each one of us to come to you first. Lord, help our unbelief. Help us to remember that you are an all-powerful, mighty God. That we can ask you for your best. Lord, we don't have to sort of scrabble underneath the table for little morsels, little crumbs. You just want to give us your best, Lord, because you love us. Help us to be bold in what we ask for. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.